I knew that actually it wasn't about how perfect my house was, or perhaps my message, <laughs> but actually that what was matters is the heart. Sorry, I get organised. Right. So, have we all had a good week? Yeah. That's good. Um, I thought that um, the weekend was a bit rough, really. I've got daylight saving, elections, and um, a beautiful day to contend with. So, it's pretty cool that you've all turned up and um, you've managed to cope with getting up an hour earlier um, as well. <laughs> all right. So, hospitality. Do you want to go to the next slide for me, please, Darren? So, hospitality in the New Testament comes from the Greek word philozenia, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but it actually means to love strangers. Um, back in the biblical days, early Christians were known for showing their hospitality out of a desire to please God. Greeks <clears throat> showed hospitality because of a status thing. They wanted to make sure that they showed hospitality so someone was better off than them, so that when they went to their city, they could stay with them and expect the best treatment. And even the Jewish people, their motives for hospitality were pretty similar. It was about welcoming other Jews into their home. There weren't the local hotels or camping grounds or motels to stay in. And what they expected was... Um, you would be greeted, you would have your feet washed, you would have the best food, you would have clothes if you needed it, anything to help you in your travels as well. Whereas the Christians, they were different because they showed hospitality for the vulnerable, for the stranger, for the people who no one else was willing perhaps to show a hospitality to. If we look in the Bible, there are a few verses about hospitality. But these are a couple that I wanted to share with you. The first comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. And it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. The second comes from 1 Peter um, 8 to 10. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love comes, covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In Hebrews it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect, sorry, neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I think these verses, amongst others, tell us to show hospitality to other believers as well as strangers by caring for one another, by being willing to contribute to each other's needs, etc. Hospitality is showing God's love and grace towards others. So there are two stories in the Bible that I wanted to draw your attention to about how hospitality was shown. The first was um, Abraham in Genesis first chapter 18. This is when he's waiting at the tent. He has three visitors come to him, and he, he is expectant. In those days, it was important that the host would be at the entrance to look for strangers. And it says in this 
passage about he's looking for strangers, and they come, and he uh, asks them to stay. He washes their feet. He prepares, for, asks for food to be prepared, and for um, he kills the best fatted calf for them. And the other story um, in Luke talks about Zacchaeus and how Jesus came to the town and Zacchaeus was desperate to see him, longed to hear him. So he climbs this tree and Jesus tells him, come down, I'm coming to your house. So even before they reach his door, Zacchaeus is offering to pay back what he has stolen and to give fourfold uh, to his community in repentance and Jesus says he has come into the house of the Lord. Jesus, throughout the New Testament, ate with people who weren't popular, who were marginalised, who were different from the nice people, who had the nice homes and other things like that. So I guess I wanted to look at it, um, what it means for us as a church. Um, what does hospitality mean for us here? Something we need to do well in our church and in our homes. In today's current culture, we're more isolated than ever before. People now live behind six-foot fences where they can go for a week without talking to their neighbour. Think to yourself, how many of you know who your neighbours are? Do you know them by name? Good to see some of you nodding your head. With the introduction of Facebook and Twitter and other social media, we're fooled into thinking that that connects us more. But actually, technology is an illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. God calls us to love everyone, including strangers. When we entertain a stranger, we could be entertaining angels. When we welcome someone here into this church that's new, that's different, you never know who they are. They could be an angel. Hospitality is an action of love, shown to those we love and those we do not know or perhaps even like. It's contagious and warms the heart of those it touches. Um, I've recently been reading a book called why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore. Quite a good title, really. And, <laughs> and actually, it, it's um, one thing I wrestle with, because in my work with um, community through Moving Groove and Who Let Dads Out, I, I often ask, we have all these families coming to these different ministries, why won't they come to church? What is it that we're not doing to allow these people the freedom to come into our church, to feel welcomed into our church. So um, the guy who wrote the book, he wrote lots of other things, but there are some key points about um, how if we want to show radical hospitality in our church, that, um, that I think, you know, I'm not saying you're not doing it. <laughs> I'm saying let's go home and reflect, are we doing this? Can we do this better? So surroundings. From the moment we walk in our door, from people who come through our door, are they welcomed? Are they greeted? The young, the old, the disabled, the normal, are they greeted? Are they sitting next to someone who will smile and say hello? 
um, at the end of the church service. Do you know, I've re- statistics prove that that is actually the most important time, which sounds weird. I'm not saying the rest isn't important, but actually it's at the end of the service when no one is job to talk to the new person. It's not your ministry to talk to the new person, but you turn in your seat and you say hi. You welcome them. You spend time in face-to-face conversation. Um, In this book, a guy uh, called Howard Schultz talks about the surroundings and how important they are. And I just want to read you a little paragraph from that. Howard Schultz, the chairman and CEO of Starbucks, says that when setting out to create an atmosphere for selling coffee, his team researched the vibe people longed for, a comfortable third place, a place conducive to relationship building. Their research had nothing to do with the menu, prices or where the coffee beans were grown. I see a deep sense of community, Schultz says, about the Starbucks environment. We've intended from day one to really build a third place between home and work. And really, I think at a time in America where people are hungry for human connection, we're providing that. What what amazes me, I guess, about that is that here's someone who's actually just a CEO of a business. They're out to make money, but actually the core thing they see a need for is a sense of community. He sees a need for people to find a place where they can connect with others. So our surroundings here are really important. Are we seated for a theatre, for a performance, or are we seated for a place where people can connect with others? Leadership is another one. We need to lead by example. We need to be willing to share a story. Those in different ministries and elders need to show hospitality. We need to lead by example. For me, with Moving Groove and Who Let Dads Out and Movie Nights, the activity that people come for, that's great. But actually the most important time is when we sit around a table and we have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and we eat a bacon buddy or we have a biscuit where we take the time to connect with these families and show our love for them. It's not whether, you know, I have people who come in. Last Sunday, I was on family notices. I had children's church to make sure they were all organised. And a lady came in off the street and she wanted to use the phone. She had tears pouring down her face. And two little kids. I didn't know her. I'd never met her before. And quite honestly, I could have said, oh, yeah, here's fine, and left her to it. But that's not what God wants me to do. God wants me to stop and say, actually, you guys can get on with the service and I'll spend time with her. You know? God wants me to um, make her a cup of coffee or get someone else to, thank you, Haven, um, <laughs> to find some toys, to allow her children some time to feel safe for allowing her some time to share what she's feeling and offer her comfort and offer her a phone, but to just sit and not rush her. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be available for people, to forget our programs, 
to put them on hold. So yeah, as leaders, we have a right, you know, we need to show our hospitality from the front. We need to be intentional in our relationship building. When we come to church, it's really easy for us to walk in, say, hi, had a good day, had a great week, sit down, sing a few songs, listen to the message, bye, oh, we have a coffee, yep, let's have a coffee. Had a nice week, yep, great, okay. But actually, that's not enough. People don't come back to church because you said hello. They come back to church because you showed an interest in them. You guys don't come youth group because Joe might go, oh, we've got a great program today. Let's do a games night. Woohoo! Come along to games night and go home again. You don't come back for that. You come back because you want to see each other. You come back because these guys and other leaders take time to get to know you. And they're there for you. And church, we need to be there for each other. We need to stop just talking to our friends <laughs> and we need to talk to those that are uncomfortable for us. And we need to sit and listen. I guess, you know, one thing we could be doing is saying, ask a question, get to know each other. It could be something simple like, what did you want to do when you were a child, when you grew up? What did you want to be? Practice it at morning tea time today. Think of a question. And listen, let's try and get to know each other a little bit better. Um, when Mike and I first came to church and Brendan and Tania Jackman came along, they had a little girl, we had a little boy, and we met together regularly over food and we got to know each other. We had a little Bible study, but we got to know each other. We were intentional. We planned it, and I think of them now as some of our greatest friends here as part of this church. So discover something new about the person next to you. Don't ask how you are, or how was your week, then move on to a safer topic, talking about yourself. Because <laughs> we like to talk about ourselves. <laughs> Try and learn some more about the person next to you. Make it a priority that every time we come together we choose someone we wouldn't normally sit and talk to, to sit and talk to and listen. Eating together. Who would have thought those potluck meals that we have after church are so crucial? that sharing meals together makes a difference. Do you know that churches who eat together, have those potluck dinners, have a barbecue, have a men's breakfast, they're more like three times more likely, people are going to be more likely highly satisfied with their church. Don't, yeah. So we should have more potluck lunches and shared lunches and <laughs> open homes. Things like that. Another thing, don't underestimate the power of a smile. You don't know what their act of kindness towards someone can make them feel. It can ward off feelings of isolation, of ostracism, 
foster, fosters a care of friendship and family and compassion within our community. Now, hospitality takes time, and it's not always convenient. Um, and we don't always want to do it. So we're tired. We're full of people. We have lives that make us feel very busy. It takes us an effort to bring food to a shared lunch. Um, re- last night we were talking to my mother-in-law, and she was sharing how she had a shared lunch. They have a shared lunch today for a missionary family, and how she just didn't have the energy to even make food. Now, my mother-in-law is one who, from the moment I met her, who has an open home to everybody. She will prepare food. She will take it to their home. She will invite you into the home. She'll have children to stay overnight so you can have a break. She is one of the most hospitable persons I've ever met. And she loves people. And that love oods from her. The one thing most people say to me about my mother-in-law is that she is so loving and caring. But last night she said, I can't face doing this. I can't face making all this food when I'm so tired to go to the shared lunch, so I don't think I'll go. That shouldn't be what stops us from fellowshipping. We should be saying, oh, well, there's some buns from the local supermarket. Let's grab those and go. Because actually it's not the food that matters. What matters is the connection time. What matters is the face-to-face time. Okay, so, <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by this topic. Um, hospitality is hard work in a church. Because look, I come in here and I go, oh, this place is a mess. <laughs> I do it. And I think, oh, you shouldn't see my office, it's a tip. But it won't stop me from, if someone comes to talk to me, won't stop me from saying, oh, no, you can't come in here yet. I'm not tidy enough. Um, Come in, have a coffee, sit down, take your weight off your feet. That's what we should feel here in this church. We should feel we can come in, take the weight off our shoulders and share that with the people that are here. So hospitality for us, how do we do it as individuals? How do we show it? We need to get to know those who come and worship with us. But just as important, we need to get those who we know those who we see daily, whether it's our neighbours on either side of us or a mum at school who's struggling on her own. We need to get to know these people. When I first, um, when James first started school, um, there was a group of parents who met at Subway, which is on the corner of the end of our school street. And um, one of the other mums who was going said, oh, you should come down and have a coffee. And I went, oh, I'm busy today. I'll um, leave it for now. <laughs> come another day. And then God spoke to me and said, actually, no, you need to go. I went, oh. Oh, I won't go today, I'll leave it for another day. So um, I left it, because I'm a bit of a wimp when it comes to going to strange places, which you probably don't think of me, you probably think, oh, she's quite okay with strange people. But actually, I struggle to talk to strangers. (laughs) Once I'm doing it, I'm fine, but actually it is a struggle. 
So um, five years on, some of those um, people I would count as really good friends. But I have intentionally made the effort to get to know these people. And one of the ways of doing that is inviting them back to my home and come for a coffee, invite the kids around for a play date. It's easy for me, I've got kids, they're a great little get-you-in-the-door key. What about if I'm an older person and the only people that live next to me don't have kids and I don't know what to talk to them about? Share a cup of tea. Admire their garden. We had an older couple who live next to us and they have the most beautiful roses. And we started talking to them over the fence about their roses, which when James came along grew to, oh, and how's James? And oh, you can come over and see him if you like. But you've got to make that first step. You've got to be a little bit brave, even when you're really uncomfortable. The really exciting thing for me about um, some of the conversations that I've had with these uh, parents at Subway, I've been to talk about Jesus with them. Wow. Sitting in Subway, the music's blaring in the background and everyone's yakking about everything else and I talk to them about Jesus and I'm like, where did that conversation come from? And actually I think it came from spending time and being willing to go down there even when I actually had lots of jobs I needed to get done um, and making the time being intentional setting aside three mornings a week where I will intentionally go and spend that half an hour or so talking to parents and there are times when things come out and I'm like whoa that's hard to deal with but being able to talk about God and how he loves them being invited into a home to have a glass of wine. Now, I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> and so I feel really super uncomfortable with that. But getting out of myself and making the effort was important. Not to me, but to them. This family welcomed me into their home. They made time for me to come and sit and talk with them because they want something that they see perhaps in me. I hope they see God in me. Man, I hope that, that, you know, that's one prayer we have at Moving Groove, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that they see our love for them. Getting too close to you, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there are reasons why we don't want people to come into our house. Our house is too small. Our house is too messy. I don't cook very well. I'm an introvert, and people exhaust me. You, are, you wear me out. Um, what will people think of me? What will people think of my parenting? What will people think of my child screaming his head off down the other end of the house because he didn't want to do what mummy asked him to do? What will people think of the food I've made them? Oops. Our value and our self-worth is tied up and what people think of us. But actually, quite frankly, I talked to a friend on Friday. She said to me, I am so scared of having people drop in on me. I don't want people to see my house the way it is. Her house is immaculate. You could eat a meal off the floor. But for her, she's terrified that someone would drop in on her. So I intentionally ring her first, because that makes her feel more comfortable. 
and I know that it's okay. And I'm not offended when they say no. We need to get over ourselves and stop being offended if people say no. It's got nothing to do with us most of the time. It's got more to do with actually how they are feeling about themselves. So make it easy for yourselves. Plan once a month. That's all. Pick a night, make it the same night every month that you will choose someone to invite them over. It doesn't have to be a full-blown meal. It could be spaghetti on toast. I really don't think people care. I think people care that you made the time for them. It could be dessert. Go and buy a cheesecake from the local supermarket. Have a cup of coffee, you're sweet. Play a board game. People don't do that nowadays. They go on their little computer, or Facebook. <laughs> or there's a PlayStation game, we get that out. Play a game. You have to talk to each other. Even if you argue about the rules, <laughs> and you fight because you didn't win, you still have to talk to each other. <laughs> but it's important that we make time. Make a brave decision today that you are going to go home and you're going to ask God, who is it that you want me to be a friend to? It could be the farmer across the road. who <laughs> has got smelly, stinky cows. It could be that family who you don't want your children hanging out with because you don't think they're safe for your kids. For Mike and I, that's the challenge we face, is showing hospitality to a family that sometimes just aren't safe for our kids. And we are challenged by that, and we have to pray through that and trust that God is in control and that his timing is perfect. Nothing else yesterday taught me. God's timing is perfect, no matter what, no matter who, and no matter when, but God is in control. So this month, you have an opportunity ahead of you, an opportunity to join with a small group of people from church, and to sign up on the clipboard, which is at the back behind Mackenzie's table. Um, and the opportunity is that you're welcome to be a host or you're welcome to be a guest. And you put down your name, you put down what day of the week would suit you best, whether it be nighttime or afternoon time. Be brave. Get to know each other. You know, some of the benefits of hospitality is that it breaks down barriers between people who are different. It provides an opportunity for people to get to know each other and connect together as we share food together. Hospitality is a way of showing people that we care and that God loves them. And that's what we do. Isn't it? So Darian is going to play us a little clip, and then we're going to move into a something else. <laughs> Thanks, Darian.
So, um, as well as being a sign-up on the clipboard, I have something else for you. I have um, six scone mixes that are free to a good home. <laughs> Someone who's willing to be brave in the next week or two. I invite you to come and grab one from me afterwards and say, take this and share them with someone. I know some of you can make these from scratch, which is great, but some of us Need a little help. <laughs> so it just adds water pretty much, okay? <laughs> so if you'd like to take up the opportunity to take these, feel free, and come back and share with us how it made an impact, maybe not on your neighbour, but maybe it made an impact on you because you stepped out of your comfort zone and you shared with some time with someone as well as some food. <laughs> but now we're going to come to um, communion. And I guess, to me, Jesus at the Last Supper, he showed us the greatest hospitality. He sent his disciples ahead to a place where a room had already been prepared. He washed his disciples' feet. He shared a meal with his disciples. And he told them what was to come of his death and his resurrection. And when we come to communion and we share in breaking of bread and drinking of wine, we remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price in hospitality. He died on that cross for all of us, not those just here in this room, but those next door to us that we walk past in the street, work with. So Jesus 
took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. Gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this. This is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to ask people to come and be the hosts to share the bread and the wine around for me. And you aren't prepared because I haven't pre-warned you. I'm like that. <laughs> I apologise if it scares you. So Gareth and Helen and David and Ellen and Carolyn, would you come and share the bread and the wine around us? And instead of us... Um, just taking it individual, perhaps we can move into small groups where we are with people and pray and partake of the bread and the wine. <laughs>